This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Okay, good. All right. Well, for those that were here last week, uh, you remember the definitions. For those that were not here last week, I'm going to give the definitions very quickly so we can have a bit of a, a, a framework which to build on. A guardrail, naturally speaking, uh, is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. How many are thankful that there's guardrails on those dangerous areas of the road? Right? Okay. Well, when we talked about that, we talked about what's interesting about guardrails is they're always strategically placed in a very specific area, not inside the danger zone, but on this side of the danger zone as to alert yourself that there's a problem on the other side. And so as we talked about guardrails last week, we wanted to come in with more of a spiritual definition or a spiritual understanding of what that meant. So what we did is we ended up uh, giving a new definition at the end of last week, and this is what it was. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. I'm going to say that again. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. So today, um, just to stick with our Valentine's theme, we're going to talk about the most needed, in my humble opinion, and the most resisted area of guardrails in humanity. Are you ready? We're going to talk about sexuality this morning. Yay! Woohoo! Yes, I get to have fun talking about this stuff this morning, and I will not embarrass my wife. Okay, thank you, Lord Jesus. But if you think about this, the issues of sexuality and the issues of sexuality that run rampant in our culture today, um, if we dealt with this issue, if we adjusted this issue, if we actually had the courage to face this issue as a culture, thankfully as churches we do, for the most part, um, but as culture we, we literally create the very same thing that we talked about last week is how do we deal with alcohol? We'll say drink responsibly. Well, that's garbage. Well, how do we deal with sex? Well, wait till you're ready. Well, some people were born ready, so that's a problem, right? You know, that's how they think, right? Some people think that they were always ready for that kind of thing, but the reality is, is our culture will never create any margin for you. They'll never create any distance between you and that guardrail because they don't have a guardrail. They don't have a guardrail on this issue. It doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, you could go out right now and see every single movie. You could literally categorize every movie over the last 10 years. And I guarantee you that in every single movie, unless it was a Christian movie or a Disney movie, and even then it's questionable, I can guarantee you in almost every movie, if not every one, that there was something celebrated regarding an affair or sexual relations outside of marriage. Would we not agree? Right? So culture celebrates it. Our kids are growing up in an environment right now in high school and in and, and junior high, and even less, and even into their young adult years. But this is, you are weird if you do not do that. You're odd. Something's wrong with you. And I keep coming back to, well, you can live with the consequences of that pain then. Because it's always going to come back until you get Jesus in your life. And then he can erase it forever and ever and ever. Amen. Right? And every single one of us here has got a past. Every single one of us has got a history. It may not be with this particular issue, but we have a past. And so God has to help meet that past, heal that past so that we can move on. Amen? But I honestly believe that if we dealt with this issue, we would have less poverty. We would have fewer unwanted pregnancies. Right? We would have fewer people in prison. We would have fewer children in foster care. We would have less domestic violence. I think our inner cities would be completely transformed. I'm, I just believe it. 
And I believe thousands and thousands and thousands of children will be put to sleep every night by their mom and their dad. But unfortunately, we live in a fallen world. And so sometimes that fallen world affects us. How many know that we can't even turn on the TV, can't go on your phone, can't do anything without that message screaming loudly at us? The message of, hey, if you want to fit in, just go do it, right? Just be, a, just be somebody that fits in. Well, we're going to talk today about guardrails in the area of physical intimacy and sexuality. It's not necessarily something that I look forward to, but I think it's necessary. How many blessed by that? Here's what I want you to do. If, the, if this issue doesn't personally affect you, here's what I want you to do. Take notes, because I guarantee you that if you're going to be a spiritual mother or father to anybody, this issue will come up every single time. So take notes, follow along. If this issue does apply to you, I want to say right from the beginning, God loves you. God has compassion on you. But God also wants to see you align your decisions with Him. Because the blessing of God on your relationships are so mind-blowing. It's so unbelievable. It is beyond what you could ever imagine. And when the blessing of God is not on it, it's, it's, it's discouraging, it's disappointing, it's frustrating, it's all those other things. But God wants you to be blessed today. He wants to bless you. Um, I want to say this this morning, that sexuality in itself or physical intimacy issues outside of marriage, um, it's not more or less offensive to God. The issue is that there's greater consequences, right? So it's not just that it's, you know, sin is sin, right? Sin is sin. But how many know that there's generational damage that can come as a result of sexual sin? Okay, so I want to just take some time and focus on one particular chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is literally where I'm going to probably spend most of my morning, just talking about some of these key verses. So 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, and it's on the screen behind me so you can follow along. And it says this, flee from sexual immorality. Flee is a strong word. And I'm actually going to explain it in the context of the culture in which it was described to in a couple minutes. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins that people commit are outside their bodies. But those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. If I can say it like this, um, for a really, really modern day, just put it right down to basic English kind of thought. um, It's either flirt or flee. The choice you have. You either flirt or you flee. You're either flirting with sin or you're fleeing from it. You have no choice. I remember when I was um, asked to take the youth, uh, Ignite Youth, last uh, February when they, this, these guys abandoned me and they stuck Sandra and I with the youth. on No, I'm just joking. I, we had a blast. We had a blast. But one of the things we talked about with the youth that night was this idea in our minds that there's some sort of line. That there's some sort of line that as long as I don't cross over the line, I'm okay. Right? As long as I don't do fill in the blank, then I'm good. The problem with the line thinking is it literally says to flee. How many know that if you're fleeing something, you're not getting close to a line? If you're fleeing that and pursuing something else, then there's absolutely no way that you can hover around the line and ask the question, how close is too close before I sin? Anytime someone asks me that, I go, whoa, time out. I want you to ask me another question. Wrong question. So ask me another one. Uh, I don't have one. Okay, (laughs) that could be a problem then, (laughs) right? You don't have another question. That could be a problem. So flee, don't flirt, okay? And some people say, well, you know, I'm married now, so I'm okay. Ha! I laugh. Why? Because, you know what, it doesn't matter whether you're married or not married. Sometimes we have this mindset in our thinking that says, as long as we get married and we're in covenant with somebody else, that means we're completely uh, outside of the realm of temptation to have 
uh, an affair with somebody else. That's the biggest lie of the enemy I think I've ever heard with married people. As soon as I get married, everything's going to be okay. Ah, absolutely not. But the good thing is, is if we're aware of what's going on and if we see what the enemy's doing, we can absolutely catch him uh, in his tricks long before he even gets to us. Amen? All right. So here's what our problem, the problem with our culture does is our culture literally baits us to the edge of something. That's what he does. He baits us to the edge of something. Just go again, go, go watch the movies. And then as soon as we step over, they mock us. I was, it always amazes to me how, uh, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get political for a second, but I will. Um, it always amazes me how the historical um, general consensus among Americans in the U.S. regarding Bill Clinton. They go, oh, Bill Clinton, one of the best presidents we've ever had. Well, financially, he was great, and he was great. He was this, he was this, he was this, he was this. And I'm sitting there going, he had an affair on his wife in the Oval Office. Most people think it was multiple affairs. There's already three of them that have been proven, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, how in the world can we look at a man like that and absolutely say, wow, he's one of the greatest presidents in the world when he's a moral failure? who really did not take any ownership for his issues. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Remember that quote? I was like, oh, come on. Um, I don't know how to define what that is. Like, I didn't know the definition of that, so therefore I didn't know that that was wrong. Ha! Sounds like most excuses we hear in our culture today. But here's what I want you to see. Culture pushes you to the edge of it, and then hangs you after. Right? It's crazy. Think about this. Oops, she's pregnant. What's culture say? Ah, just get an abortion. It's okay to wear that. Why? Because culture says everyone's wearing it. Right? My husband has a little internet problem. Response? Ah, it's just guys just being guys. How many know this stuff can be destructive? It can lead to a greater problem. It can lead to something. And so this is why I want to bring back the context of who Paul's talking to. Okay? Paul is talking to a Greek culture at Corinth that was famous for its male and female prostitutes. What they would do is they would take child slaves from a very young age, and they would literally own them, breed them, and prostitute them for money, and that's how they made money. Corinth was a port city, which means people came there for favors. As they had to stay and deliver cargo, pick up cargo, and carry on from where they were, they were having lots of favors that were happening on the side. Why? Because there were slave owners that were owning prostitutes, both male and female. So Paul is addressing those people and saying, flee. And if you think about it, they're probably sitting there going, well, how can we? We're owned. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get away from that. They own me. I can't flee. That's why he used that word flee. Why? Because he says the only option you have, you just got to run. He says, what happens if they catch me? Run again. Just keep running. That's how strong of a context and words that Paul was using in order to get them to understand the significance of the consequences of this particular sin. Hopefully that made sense. But the good thing is, is Paul goes on in verse 19, and he actually gives us this incredible incentive for every believer on the planet regarding this issue. And he says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Whom you have received from God. God lives in you, right? We teach our kids when we come to Sunday school, you want to accept Jesus into your heart? How many know that a six-foot human cannot fit in there? We know that. 
But the concept is, is that God takes residence in our lives, the Holy Spirit takes residence in our lives, and he starts to prick our conscience about those things that would uh, disconnect us from the very heart and love of God, right? Not that it disconnects from the love of God, but it, it disconnects us because of sin, right? And so he's literally speaking to this issue, and he's saying, listen, your body is sacred. Your body is holy. Your body is the very image of God on the earth. Protect it. Take care of it. Verse 19, it says, And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And you have to decide this morning, not just for yourself, but for your family, how important is that to you? How important is it to you? Because I guarantee you, the moment you leave this place, you are going to be inundated with images and thoughts and ideas and a philosophy that is so countercultural to the Scriptures that it's going to be very hard to make wise decisions and healthy decisions in the midst of an emotional temptation. How many know emotions are deceiving, right? And they can get the best of you when you even think you're strong, right? But we have to be careful with that. If I can back up a couple of verses, going back to verse 12, I want to read this verse to you. And I want to give some, if I can say, rules or guidelines for your sexuality this morning. 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. There's three key words that is talked about here that I wanted to spend a little bit of time on. Lawful, helpful, and enslaved. So question number one for us when we're thinking of our sexuality, is it lawful? Is it lawful? Well, I mean, Romans 13 says that we should obey the government. Um, Of course, unless there's some sort of rule that would be contrary to Scripture, in which I hereby give you permission to practice very loving and graceful civil disobedience. No one got that. Are we awake this morning? You got it? I hereby give you permission. And if Prime Minister Trudeau is listening to my messages online because he loves me, then Trudeau, we love you, we support you, we pray for you, you're a blessing, we thank you for your hair, that is so nice, but we're going to do what the Bible says. Okay, all right. All right, question number one, is it legal? Does that affect us as Christians that much? Not really, because the the laws of our land have gone so far the other way that it's really almost irrelevant. But the second thing when it comes to being lawful, is it biblical? Is it biblical? And so you have to understand this morning that God's idea of sex was always created for one context and one context only. It's between a man and a woman in a marriage. That's it. So I know some people get on the, the homosexuality parade, and I think personally I think a lot of people do way more harm than we ever could good because they jump on particular issues. The reality is this is anything outside of one man and one woman in a context of a marriage is sinful, is wrong, is unbiblical, is not ordained, is not supported. So whether it's this, that, or the other thing, who cares? It's all wrong, right? That was good. Thank you. Good point, Cameron. All right. So the third thing is this. Is it supported by those over you in the Lord? So who could that be? Well, if you're a teenager, it would be your parents. Thank you. Thank you. Any other parents want to say amen, that would be a good time to say it right about there. All right. Um, If you're a teenager, what do your parents say? Amen. Right? right, There's amen. All right. That's good. That's good. All right. I got your back. Uh, Ken, checks in the mail, I know. Thank you. All right, that's good. All right, all right. If your parents are saying, don't date that person, 
then in actuality, you are being unlawful because you are dishonoring the very people that Ephesians 6.2 says you should be honoring. When Sandra and I got married, we ended up talking about relationships. We actually became almost like the relationship gurus at OCC just because, I don't even know how, I just we kind of fell into it. And part of it, again, was having, you know, being young adult pastors at the time and, and having a bunch of those dynamics going on. But we have consistently talked about three things we're looking for before we would ever consider uh, being with somebody, dating somebody, or even going towards marriage. And there's three things we want. We want the blessing of God. We want the blessing of our parents. And we want the blessing of our spiritual parents. In other words, your church family, your small group leader, your pastors. If you don't have those three blessings, it creates a problem. It creates a disconnect. doesn't mean sometimes you're, you could have ungodly parents that don't understand. You could get the blessing of God and the blessing of your church family and your parents don't agree. I think there's some leeway there. You do, you do have to do things to honor them as best as you can. Um, but there's times where, yeah, you go ahead and get married if you've got the blessing of the other two. But how many know that, you know, in baseball, batting one for three is a good day? But batting sexual, you know, sexual sin issues one for three is not a good day. And in this case, I would, I would highly recommend a three for three approach on which blessing you want. The blessing of God, the blessing of your natural parents, and the blessing of your spiritual parents. Those people being those that are influencing you spiritually. Okay? We good? So is it lawful? Um, Ephesians 6, 2, and 3, I actually have it on the screen. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. If I can just really set your mind at ease for a second. Teens, if you're here, young adults, if you're here, just be thankful we're not in the days of arranged marriages. You're free. Just imagine who your pa would set you up with <laughs> if it was him making the choice for you. Isn't that crazy? Well, thank the Lord we're not in days of arranged marriages anymore, so you're free. All right, good, good. I'm glad I put everyone at ease. All right. If you are a believer, so here's the second issue of honor. If you are a believer, what do your pastors say? What, do you, what does your connect group leader say? What, are your, what do the teachers for your equip classes say? What are those people that you allow to spiritually speak into your life? What are they saying? Why? Because God's desire for you is to bless you. I, and this is sometimes this verse I'm going to share can be so taken out of context and used as control. But I want you to see the heart of God for this. How many are parents? How many agonize over your children someday? Okay, well, it's no different for us as pastors as pastors, we agonize over the decisions and the, and the choices and the circumstances of people's lives that are in our flock. It, it breaks our heart sometimes when we see people making bad choices and then just living the consequences of it. And we're sitting there going, man, I wish we could do something. I wish we could help. I wish we could. But at the end of the day, we know that sometimes our kids naturally and, and spiritually make choices that we wouldn't agree with. And sometimes they have to just live the consequences of it in order to get it. Right? We would never wish it on a million people ever, but sometimes it's the best decision. Sometimes we just got to let it go, right? But Hebrews 13, 17 in the Amplified, it says this. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. For they are constantly keeping watch over you and over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare. As men and women who will, give, who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning, for that would not be profitable for you. There is an element of responsibility that comes with natural parenting or spiritual parenting that when, once you get there, you understand it, and until you get there, you, 
you don't fully understand it. You can get it mentally, but emotionally and in every other way, it's hard. I know right now my family's going through a lot of different things. My brothers are going through some stuff. My, my sister-in-law just lost her sister two weeks ago. My uh, younger brother just went in for eye surgery yesterday, and the last thought that was told him before he went in was, you may be blind. He's 32 years of age. You don't want to hear that when you're 32 years of age. Thankfully, the surgery went well and everything's good. But I saw my mom yesterday, and I just saw the emotional burden on her. And it was just all over her. And she's doing good, but it's like you carry the weight of that as a spiritual parent, right, and as a natural parent. The second question that I want to answer today or ask today and, and then answer is it helpful? So not is it just, is it lawful, but is it helpful? In other words, is it helpful for you, but also is it helpful for others? Okay? For single people, will it help your walk with God? Will it hinder someone else's walk with God? In other words, everything that you do in any context of relationship is either going to draw someone closer to God or push them further away. It's either going to draw them closer to the main point of spiritual walk, which is Jesus, or it's going to distract them from Jesus. Which one do you want? Because if you constantly feel like you need to distract that other person to you and away from Jesus, then that's going to end up in not a very good place. Fortunately, I've seen that happen way too many times. Okay? Frank DiMaggio, who's the head of Ministers Fellowship International, which is the affiliation we're a part of, one of the most brilliant teachers I have ever heard in my life. He has written over, what, 60 books, 70 books. He's just he's a ridiculous guy. Ridiculous as far as smarts. And Judah Smith, I don't know if some of you have been following on with Judah Smith, but Judah Smith's father, Wendell, and Frank DiMaggio were best friends forever. And Wendell went home to be with the Lord about six years ago uh, as a result of cancer, but um, Frank DiMaggio has always had a very interesting, a very unique, and a very special place in the Smith family as far as influence. And Judah Smith will actually often joke that on Saturday nights before, before he finished, finishes polishing his message, he'll actually text Frank DiMaggio and say, hey, Frank, can you just double-check my theology here? I just want to make sure I'm good because the guy's brilliant. So I just want to make sure that whatever I'm saying to Moore is good, is accurate, is, bibl- is theologically uh, supported. And, and so he will send stuff to him. Carl Lent sends stuff to him. Rich Wilkerson Jr. sends stuff to him. Ad Veach. All these guys are like, they're sending it to, they call him Uncle Frank. Every time they see him, even if you see him at conference, they always refer to him as Uncle Frank. So he had Frank DiMaggio at the City Church in Seattle about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And it was on a mentor night. They called them spiritual mentor nights. And they actually, basically the entire service was Judah Smith sitting on a chair with Frank DiMaggio sitting on another chair and Judah Smith just asking him questions about, you know, what have you learned in 43 years of ministry? What have you learned dealing with people for your whole life? What have you learned? And so one of the issues that came up was the issue of sexuality and the choice of, of obviously the only biblical allowance is, is sex between a man and a woman within marriage. But he, he asked Frank DiMaggio this question, you know, how does that, those issues uh, affect people? Or, or what have you seen with that? And how has that affected uh, people's life choices? And this is what he said. So I want you to follow along with me because I think it's brilliant. He said this. Instead of just saying, well, you know, it's wrong. Which makes sense. This is what he said. And this is how he explained it. He answered and he said, to defraud someone is to take them to an emotion that you can't righteously fulfill. 
If you defraud a person, you are now using that person to fulfill something that you shouldn't even feel. So not only are you a deceiver, but you are also become a person who is addicted to a wrong emotion that will not only allow you to use that person, but anyone else that comes along your path that you have emotional feelings for. You have to understand, marriage won't stop that emotion. That emotion lives on beyond the covenant of marriage because you've opened a door to something that is very deceptive. Basically, what is he saying? If you open that door, you are defrauding not only yourself, but you're defrauding those other people because you cannot do something with them that you righteously cannot answer to God for. So you're, you're teasing them. Basically, is what you're doing. You're putting a carrot out in front of them. And I'll say this. You know, how do we do that in our culture today? Well, I mean, a really, really simple thing that we do uh, and is how we dress. That's a simple thing. You're literally teasing people, right? We've got to be careful with that. Um, can I say it like this? The way that we communicate, even over Facebook and over social media, the way that we say things, the things that we do say. Sometimes we cross a line in the things that we say because we shouldn't be saying them, especially not to that person, right? So we have to be careful. I'm going to give some examples of that in a second. But for married couples, questions I often ask is, you know, will it help our marriage? Will it inspire your spouse's walk with God? If it's not, even in the context of sexuality and marriage, it's a problem. So there's six purposes that the Bible actually mentions uh, regarding sex in marriage. There's six purposes to sex and marriage. Okay, we're going to get really just real here for a second. But I want, I want to share with you those six purposes that are talked about in Scripture. Okay? Number one is pleasure. You say, wow, we're talking about pleasure and sex and church. This is crazy. Yeah, we are. Somebody open the door and I'm going to yell it to the neighbor. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's pleasure. But if I can say it like this, if you are having pleasure and the other person is in pain, it's not helpful. Okay, let's just be real this morning. It's not helpful. Second thing is this, children. What a concept. Kids. What's wrong with our culture right now? We, we, are, we have gone to one of the lowest birth rates in the history of our, of our nation. We're at 1.6 kids. When I was around, it was 3.2. Half in uh, 15 years. That was a joke. I'm a little older than that. I'm a little bit older than that, just slightly older than that. About 35 years or so. Anyhow, it's all good. Um, but the Bible says in Genesis 1.28, the very first command to, the, to humanity was to be fruitful and multiply. But unfortunately, in our culture, what we've done is we put every other decision ahead of having kids. And I would, I would respectfully call that into question. Because kids are a blessing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. We love them so much, we just keep having them. But no, we're not having any more. We're at, done at 17, so we're good. We're good. We're going to start our own reality TV show, though. It's going to be fun. Um, I'll give you away the name next week, but it's all good. So children, number three, oneness. The Bible says, Genesis 2.24, that a husband and wife become one flesh. In other words, does it pull you together or does it push you apart? Does it make you closer or does it make it more distant? Okay? If one of you feels ashamed, embarrassed, hurt, or, or denigrated, it's not oneness. Okay? We're good. Four, knowledge. Genesis 4.1 says, and they knew each other. In other words, there was an intimate knowledge of one another. Does your sexual intimacy cause you to be vulnerable, to be trusting, to be intimate, to be connected, to be devoted in a special, sacred way? 
Or does it cause you to be fearful, to hide, to not reveal yourself because you're not in a place of safety? You say, well, we're married. It should be right. It should be fine. It should be, but sometimes it isn't. So we have to address those things, right? Five, protection. Are you together enough? And all men will say, amen. Hey, you're all wimping out. All men are like, amen, brother. That was good. You should be together often enough so that you're not tempted by other things. Some people ask me, so, you know, how often should a married couple have sex? And I go, uh, ask Sandra. All right. That's awesome. Hey, listen, because you're so, it's because it's you're so wise. You're so wise. She's so wise. It's awesome. Sixth is this, 2 Samuel twelve twenty four. It's comfort. It says to give our body to our spouse as an act of comfort and love. Okay, so great romance in marriage is fueled by a sense of exclusivity. You're the only one that I have eyes for. You're the only one I want to be with. I don't want to be with anybody else. I don't care about anybody else. And this is one of the reasons why we beg and plead and tell our, our youth and our young adults, don't go there, please don't go there. Because you don't want to get into a marriage where in the back of your mind you're comparing yourself to the three other people you've been with. Don't go there. If you've gone there, God can supernaturally heal you. So it's all good. I'm living proof of that. For those that are, you know, I've shared this so many times, I feel like I'm a broken record, but I know there's many new people in this place. For three and a half years, from the time I was 17 to the time I was 21 and a bit, I had a massive addiction to pornography. And I'm telling you, it took a little while for God to get those images out of my mind. But I can say right now, 97, I can't add, 19 years and I've been free of an addiction to pornography. 19 years. And so I am blessed, blessed, blessed. The fact that that stuff doesn't control me, it doesn't define me, it doesn't dictate to me who I am as a person. I'm free of that. And you can be free as well. The third question is this. When we went back to that verse, it says, but you don't want to be enslaved by anything. So will I become enslaved to it? Will I become addicted to it? There's two types of enslavement that you have to be aware of. The first thing is this. When it's imposed on you, just like the Corinthian church, okay, And the second is when you give yourself away. When you just give up and you give in to a temptation or to an emotional response. God doesn't want you to be addicted to anything. So what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to just end with some guidelines or some thoughts that I've kind of come up with. Just very practical guidelines of things that you should walk out as a married person if you're married and as a single person if you're single. Okay, Um, I want to say they're based upon years of being in social work and as a pastor, um, it's based upon biblical wisdom. um, And I will say very clearly, these are my opinions. Okay, so I'm not going to quote a Bible and verse on all of this stuff because it really necessarily isn't word for word in the Bible. But I'm going to put this into modern day vernacular, everything that we can understand. This is my opinion. So I want to put that out there so you don't misunderstand that. Okay, here you go. You ready? So some guardrails to consider for married people. Don't travel with members of the opposite sex alone. Don't do it. My my thoughts, my opinions. Why? Because it's amazing to me how conversations always start. And what one conversation started leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. Okay? Don't confide in in or counsel members of the opposite sex. A phrase that I've often used uh, with people is simply this. Get them help. Don't be their help. Okay? It would be irresponsible for us if we didn't 
get them help. But it's also irresponsible if we become their help when they are vulnerable and we are somebody of the opposite sex. Although we also live in a day and age where sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's the opposite sex. So just be careful, okay? Uh, Be careful of others who want to confide in you. I'm not just talking about, yeah, it's been a rough week and, you know, things are going hard in the house, blah, 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 blah. But I'm talking when someone takes you aside and says, I just just really need to talk to somebody. I just really want to talk to you. But this is very, it's very deep. It's very personal. That should be, that should be a guardrail that you start bumping up against saying, whoa, back up the truck, right? Because what you're doing is they're drawing you in emotionally. And you may be okay. And you may not have a problem. And you may have the strongest marriage in the world. But if they're vulnerable, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're nice and you listen and you're empathetic and you're caring, well, it opens a door to them emotionally, okay? Trust me, I've seen it, so don't do it. When you feel your heart drifting toward a specific person, tell somebody. Somebody that you trust, somebody who's got a load of spiritual wisdom because what you don't want is to keep everything in darkness because how many know that the enemy works in the realm of darkness? right? Bring it to the light. Um, Affair proof your life by guarding your heart around those you spend the most time with, i.e. co-workers, okay? I'm blessed because my co-worker is sitting on the front row. (laughs) So it's all good. Confer with your spouse about guardrails that they would like you to have and do it, okay? How much do you love them? Let them, let them speak about those issues. Speak about guardrails. Talk about what's healthy for you guys. Hopefully this is good for you, some of you. Okay, you ready for single people? Are you ready? Ready? All three of you? Are we good? Step number one. Are you ready? Are you all sitting down? Okay, step number one. Gouge out your eyes with a spoon. Okay? That is, the, that is the breakthrough of all breakthroughs. If you, don't, if you can't see nothing, you won't be tempted. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, wisdom from on high. I got that this morning. Just want to let you know. It's like, Lord, really, what is it that you want me to say? Gouge out your eyes with a spoon. Oh, Lord, that was good. So I'm going to share that this morning, all right? Okay. Seriously, that, that was a joke. Really bad one. Um, here's my first thought. Apply every rule like a married person, okay? And remember, this is a very important part. Remember, sleepovers are for eight-year-old girls. Thank you. Thank you, parents. Checks will be in the mail. That's for you. Good. All right. Awesome. Dress modestly. Are you attracting people to you or to Jesus? One of the things, and I don't want to necessarily point anybody out in a, in a weird kind of way, but I'll tell you, one of the things that's always blessed me is we have some very beautiful inside and out women at this church that dress so nice and so professional and so modest that it, is, it, it creates a safe place for men. It's awesome. Now, that's no excuse for us as men because if we've got a problem, we've got to deal with it. But I'm just so grateful and so blessed that I look around every single Sunday, and even in the summer when it's hot, and you see people, uh, women that are dressed just with such class, it was such dignity. It really is a blessing. So thank you. On behalf of all the men, we thank you. Um, that's good. Watch closely who you contact on Facebook and what you say on social media. There are people out there. I remember Scott mentioned this a couple months ago, um, but I thought it was so good. There are people out there that are not out for your interest. They're out for their own. And so there are predators, sexual predators online and on social media that have every intention of harming you 
And you have to be careful who you connect to. If you're sitting at home after school for three hours before your parents come home on Facebook, I would question those decisions. Because what happens is without your parents even close by, there's no filter. There's nothing that will make you go, oh, oh, I hope they don't walk in right now and see what I'm doing or see what I'm saying. Okay? Remember from last week that your friends are your greatest influences and also can be your greatest weaknesses. And so be careful. They love you, but sometimes there can be some guards that you let down because of them that you have to be careful of. Okay? Some people say, is that kind of extreme? Well, I don't think so. I think that's common sense. I think, and for my life, um, I just keep coming back to the first point we talked about last uh, Sunday, which was guardrails not only protect, but they direct. And when you make healthy decisions with your sexuality, I guarantee you, they will direct you to the person that God has for your life. They will direct you. I remember um, when Sandra and I were, even before we had met and we were processing through some decisions personally and, and trying to get a hold of God, what do you want for our lives and where do you want as individuals, long before we even met, I remember God just took me through this period where I, I just was so determined that I'm going to wait for the right person and I'm not going to give in to just anybody that walks around. Because how many know even within church there could be a, a temptation? Well, you know, they're there, so hey, they're nice and they love Jesus, so that must work, right? So hey, let's, let's think about that. No, one of the things that we did from day one is, Lord, we're going to pray. We're going to seek your face because we know that as we seek you, you're going to bring the right person in the right time, in the right way so that I cannot miss it. So when you set up guardrails in your life as a single person and you really want to honor God, I have news for you. This is not to discourage you, but it's just I have news for you. It automatically eliminates a lot of people. The pond gets very small. But then it's a trust issue. I had to say to myself, God, I trust you. God, I trust you that if, if I continue to work on myself and I continue to serve you and I cons- cons- uh, consistently follow you with my life, that, Lord, I know that you can bring this person and it doesn't matter where they are in the world, that they can bring them. And so what God just says, oh, there's a girl over here in Sweden. Wow. And there's a guy over here in the Schwa. Hmm, Sweden and the schwa. And so he literally had to supernaturally uh, take Sandra from 9,738 kilometers away and plop her in the schwa. And one day I walked in to a Sunday night service, April 2nd, 2010, and I looked at 6, 10 p.m. And I looked at her and I went, hallelujah, hallelujah, and I knew in that moment, and so I walked right up on stage in the middle of the message, and I said, will you marry me? No! No, I didn't do that. I'm just joking. But I have news for you. Sandra had full uh, intentions of coming over to Canada for six months. They had already prearranged that from September of 1999 until March 30th, 2000, that she would come. Two weeks before she was supposed to come, God starts putting on her heart, no, it's not the right time. It's not the right time. And she had no understanding why. And she's like, God, this is nuts. They've had billets prepared. They've got food prepared. They've got programs prepared. I'm coming in to run these different things. I'm going to lead worship. I'm going to teach. I'm going to, like, God, what are you doing? I've got literally six months worth of people that are going to take me into their house and take care of me. What in the world are you doing? He just says, it's not right timing. It's not the right timing. Trust me. So she ended up calling Pastor Chris, which is Frank's wife, and said, um, I feel really embarrassed, but I'm just, 
I don't feel like I'm supposed to come yet. She goes, oh, that's okay, okay. Well, what are you feeling? What are you sensing? I said, I don't know. I'll just, maybe I'll just stick around and have Christmas one last time with my family because I may not be back home with my family again. And, and so I'll have Christmas one last time with my family. So she came January the 7th of 2000, and she was here to July the 7th of 2000. And I showed up for the first time to OCC April 2nd. If she left March 30th, we would have missed each other by three days. So God supernaturally knows what to do. So I'm saying to you this morning, if you trust God, God will bring them from somewhere you could never even imagine. It doesn't matter where they're coming from. God will pluck someone out of Sweden, pluck someone out of the schwa, and put them together and say, this is my plan and this is my purpose for your life. So if you're single here this morning, I don't want you to think, well, I've got to just be looking around and seeing what I, I, I want you to be looking up because as you look up, God will supernaturally bring them to you. But if, Awesome. But if you're looking here and you're trying to make decisions based upon an insecurity in your life, I guarantee you right now, the devil will put every single person that is not good for you in your life. And they will try to drag you away from the very purpose and plan of God for your life. I'm telling you right now, the number one mistake I've seen every youth and every young adult make in their life, ever, had to do with sexuality and boyfriends, girlfriends, and all that garbage. Because what happens is is what started so well I've said this to several people in this church over the last seven and a half years. You come to Christ, you get so excited. Within six months, you're just like literally doing this spiritually. And I would come to them and I'd say, just be careful. Just watch out for, you know, a person of the opposite sect that's going to come in and win you away. And then three months later, boom, and four months after that, we don't even see them again. I've lost count. How many times in the last 20 years I've seen this happen? I could write a book on how many times I've seen this happen. Why? Because God knows that you're emotionally deceived. Every single human on the face of the planet can be absolutely deceived with your emotions. They're not trustworthy. Do not trust your emotions. They're the most untrustworthy thing you will ever have in your life. So what you need is put yourself around people that can, if you don't have the ability to have healthy guardrails emotionally, then put your parents and put your friends and put your pastors and put your small group leaders around you to allow those things to be guardrails in your life and bounce that stuff off of them because they will save your life. I'm telling you right now, they'll save your life. But the good thing is, is there is one person who's perfect in all his ways. There is a person who's perfect in all of his ways. Not only is he perfect, but he has perfect plans. And he has perfect people for other perfect people in the perfect time and in the perfect place for the perfect, perfect purpose, for the perfect destiny. And that's what God has. But you have to trust him this morning. This is the number one most resisted guardrail on the planet. I think one of the most heartbreaking things for for me is to see people literally just take this attitude of, oh, well, it's, I've already started, so I'm just going to keep going. I have news for you this morning. If you're making a bad choice or if you're involved in things, you can be married and have an issue with pornography this morning. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can be married and have an issue with a coworker. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. But if there's one thing I want to save you from, there's a verse in Proverbs, and it, it, it's really spoke to me, even leading to this, because again, I've seen this. It says this, the prudent see danger and take refuge. They take refuge within their guardrails. 
but the simple keep going and suffer for it. They just keep going. They just keep going. They just keep doing it. They just keep doing it. They just keep doing it. And I honestly, this morning, I want to I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to keep going. You don't have to keep making those mistakes. You don't have to keep entertaining those thoughts. You can be free. If you're struggling with pornography in this place this morning, I want to let you know from firsthand experience, you can be free. Totally free. If you're struggling in your single life and trusting and waiting on God, I have news for you that when you wait, God always brings the best. I just didn't get something good. I got the best. If he had to bring her from Sweden or from Tanzania, from Finland, Sweden, Tanzania, Finland, wherever she's from. If that's what he had to do, he did it because he knows that my heart was for him, not for anybody else. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 